morning. It is a pleasure to be here um, talking about embracing our limits um, in our reality therapy series under the auspice of the Loving Well series. Um, today, I get to be here because I'm the poster child for limits. So that's a privilege. And um, it's been a critical part of my life to learning how to grieve my losses. And it has enlarged my soul for a capacity to love. And it's very counterintuitive. And so I, am, I stand here in fear and trembling, knowing that there is a massive tension between embracing our limits and becoming limited without God putting his hand on that. So I'm going to try to answer a few questions that I think are important when we do this embracing our limits. And they are four questions. What are limits? What does God say about them? How does embracing my limits help me to love well? And how do we embrace them in a healthy way? So, because I am desperately needing revelation for myself and for all of us in the room and on uh, watching, we're going to pray for that. So, Holy Spirit, come. Use my broken, cracked jar so that I can leak you, Jesus. May all the glory go to you. And Holy Spirit, reveal this to our hearts and minds in a way that we couldn't understand it on our own. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to give you an illustration about limits. And I was once told about, from a friend about how she was like a platter. This kind of a platter. And she could hold a large capacity in life. She could do many things, and she really could. She still can. She could be responsible for things and effective and efficient. And she was like a platter, so she could hold lots of different kinds of food. And that there are also small plates. And some of us, she said, can hold Lots, and some of us can hold little. And I was super offended by that, because it was in relation to something that I couldn't do. And I held on to that for quite a long time. But I have come to believe that she's actually quite right. And it made me think of a thing that my sister and I had growing up. Somebody gave them to us for our... Um, for a gift, and some of you are not going to believe that this is possible, but this was the 80s, so anything's possible. We were given plates, and I have a picture of it, and they were called gum guards. This is a real thing. I'm not making this up. This was put on the side of our bedside table at night. Well, it was there all the time, and then we would take out our gum every night, 
and put it on the gum guard, and I just happen to have gum here, like this, super COVID friendly. And I would put it on the gum guard. See, mine was even the elephant, like, or no, hippo, sorry, the little hippo. And we would put it on our nightstand, and it would guard the gum overnight. Because you would want to take that gum in the morning and put it back in your mouth. This is what saved my sister Regan from having so many days of pulling gum out of her hair with butter. My mom did that many times with her. So the gum would stack up, actually, because nobody cleaned it off. So there's quite a pile of gum going on on there. And then you had to figure out which one was the piece that you ate the night before. Or in my sister's case, she just took the whole thing and put it in her mouth. So the point is, at times, all you have the capacity for is to guard gum. You're going to see that this is true. So if I was to define limits by the dictionary level, it says to point or level beyond which something does not or may not extend or pass or a restriction on the size or amount of something permissible or possible. Blah, 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 blah. Sounds like a lot of words. Define the gift of limits is, is important here. There is a gift in every limit. It takes intentionality to find it and acknowledge it and then embrace it with the power of God governing it. Heavy on the power of God governing it. So we think of limits as being limiting, right? Restrictive, we reject the concept of God using them to disciple us because it feels like we've been made small. And that's the opposite of God. He's huge, he's big, he's bigger than everything. But the strange thing about limits is that God uses them to disciple us and to test us. I don't even like saying that out loud because I don't enjoy it, but Amy described this really well in her message on grief. She called them treasures, that she had to go hunting for treasures in the midst of her grief. And then last week we heard on the Valentine's Day all those stories and really that was a better testimony of what limits do than anything. Every one of those stories was limitations in people's lives that God used for their good. This is the practicality of what limits do. We just don't like them. I never like them. And there are healthy limits, and there are unhealthy limits. And we've all seen when people abuse this limitation or boundary thing by just opting out of things as an excuse. But there are times where we need to embrace the limits that God has given us. And this is the difference between discipleship and slavery. So we're going to try and put those in different camps so that we can see where we cross the line and how we stay in the discipleship realm rather than the slavery realm. 
So this is reality therapy. You're getting it right now. So how do we embrace limits while living in the freedom that God has for us? The million-dollar question. Um, My personal experience with limits was that when we started, when we planted the church 26 years ago, Dallas and I, um, we were young and we were limitless and we were passionate and we were all in and God could do anything. And of course, God could do anything with us. And we really didn't have any limitations. And that's kind of the state of youth, right? We see it every day. And it's beautiful, and it's exciting, and it's free, and everybody loves to be around it because it's like, it tastes so good. The problem for us was that we just said yes to everything, and we did not take the time to process it with Jesus. So it's, it's actually ironic to say this, but... My activity for God far outweighed my relationship with God. And I needed to rectify it. But guess what? I didn't even know I needed to rectify it. We just kept saying yes. So in that Jesus calling that Amy read before, um, Isaiah 30, 15 says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And this is the kicker but you would have none of it. That is the story in a nutshell of limitations. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But Leah, you would have none of it. So, everybody even hates this word right now. This is why it's so... uh, difficult to talk about this in this time frame because we all are so sick of limitations when it comes to COVID restrictions. And every time there's another announcement, we hope that maybe there's going to be less. So we have never been more limited in this world than we are right now. We've never experienced this kind of limitation. We're sitting, I'm standing, you're sitting, and you're in your house because of limitations or restrictions. Does it feel good? No. Do I want everybody back in church? Yes. And I didn't hear any amens on that, but I think there's others that feel that too. So I'm going to try and put the COVID restriction aside as limitation. However, I do want you to think about how it feels and how uncomfortable it makes you feel and how frustrating it makes you feel. So here are some examples of limitations. These are just things that are for every single person. We're going to go through them real quickly. But the first one is family of origin and ethnicity. So I am a white Canadian. I come from a two-parent home, both who came from two-parent homes. Those migrate to Canada bring with them their own traditions and culture and socioeconomic status. I have limitations. I don't understand other cultures very well. I really got that message when we traveled on sabbatical to Southeast Asia. I am limited to understand so many things because I have been here for most of my life. However, there are huge amounts of blessing that come from being a white Canadian, some of which 
are in our governments and political systems that I didn't even know existed till we went away and saw what happened if you weren't in a democratic country, what happened when you were surrounded by um, many, many years of wars and cultural differences amongst country by country, moving border lines and, and just so much history of pain and war and suffering. I haven't carried that here. I guess there's always things that we can relate to, but we have to admit that there are limitations that we just don't see, we cannot see. And vice versa for those who don't live here. They all kept talking about how great it would be to feel cold. And I was like, no, <laughs> it doesn't feel great to be cold. So another limitation is marriage or singleness. Now, this is, can be a major trigger for people. But I have to point out the limitation and the freedom that comes with both. So when Dallas and I married, we said yes to each other only. He is my limit. I will only say yes to him as my husband. But there is so much freedom in that because I get to spend my life with him. When you're single, also, there is much, much freedom to being able to choose things, work when you want, eat when you want, do things that you want with your money, but you also have to do it on your own. Do you see where I'm coming from here? There's limits in everything. There's freedom in everything. Intellectual capacity. Some, I'm not going to go into this, but you know, some people are just a little sharper than the others. I'm on the less sharpened end. The material wealth is also a huge limitation and also a blessing. And some people can make money without even thinking. They wake up and breathe and they made money. Other people don't have that blessing, but they also don't have that responsibility. Work. Work is a blessing huge blessing. We want to find good jobs. We want to work hard, but it's also hard work. Limitation and blessing. Personality types. We're all limited because we have these kind of leans to certain directions. We're introverts. We're extroverts. We're really good with people. We're much better with a book by ourselves. There's ways that we can look around the room and know that that person's going to be really good at that and that person is going to struggle. Physical bodies, oh my goodness. This is, this is the kicker. As we age, time is a limit. And all of the young bodies in the world don't know this yet. I was one of those. I used to just push myself and push myself to do massage therapy when I was practicing. And I would just work for like 14, 16 hours a day because I, I didn't feel it in my hands. They just kept going and going and going. 
And people would tell me, you should stop. Like, you should really only do about four hours a day. That would be what would give you the longevity. And I was like, well, I don't feel it. I'm fine. It's good. No problem. That was for 13 years. And then my hands gave up. I have so many ridiculous uh, food allergies. This is a major uh, limitation in my life. Everyone knows that I love chocolate. Chocolate does not love me. And there are so many other things. So these limitations that I choose when I eat the things that I shouldn't cause me pain. But why do I keep doing them? Because I don't embrace my limits. So that leads us to what God says about them. And Dallas alluded to this um, with Exodus chapter 16. Did a great job. Actually, we could have just stopped church right then. Because um, it is it is what he said. It's God leading the Israelites out of slavery and into freedom. And how does he do that? It's counterintuitive, just like limits. The Bible says so many things about limits. And we could go on and on and on and on because there are character after character after character in the Bible that had so much limitation. And I, I keep thinking of them daily, but we would be here forever and we wouldn't get this done. So, but let me just throw in, like Moses had major limitations. He knew them. He was a murderer. That's a, that's a little bit of a limitation when it comes to God using you. And Gideon was the youngest uh, of the tribes, and God even whittled his little, his huge army down to tiny. Why would God do that? Well, because God loves to use limitation. So back to Exodus 16, um, God was reorienting. He was reorienting the Israelites out of slavery and that is not a small thing when you have 400 years of genetics plus generational teaching and living in your system and in everything you know. All they knew was Egypt. And Egypt provided them with a pretty swanky life, even though they were slaves. Like the things around them looked good. It was provision. There were pots of meat. There was bread. They had what they needed provided there as long as they kept on working. But they had to be slaves to do that. So they cashed in their freedom to be slaves so that they could be provided for. So there's a really interesting part about this is that God, the way that he does it is he was really, really pointed about putting the Israelites in a place where there was nothing. And in Exodus 13, 17 to 18, this is not on the screen, ladies up in the room there. This is not one of those scriptures. I just added it on the fly. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country because that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. So first of all, God is crazy. He takes them the long way. Like this is seriously the long way, like 40 years long way. 
through the dry land in the middle of the Red Sea and deposited them in the middle of the wilderness. So, wilderness. It did not provide water naturally. It was very few and far between when they came upon water in the wilderness. It did not provide hardly any meat and, and food because there was no growth there. They went into the harsh weather and they had to walk. The basics, the basics life survival needs were not there. But God dropped them there. I don't think it's by chance that it had to be like that. So because they're humans, just like us, they start grumbling and complaining. That would be me. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Exodus 16, 2 and 3 says, The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. It's so huge to me because... I don't like to be hungry. And I would be grumbling and complaining. But it's as if they didn't know that they were slaves. It's like they forgot they were slaves. And so they cried out to the Lord and said that, take us back to Egypt. Slavery is better than this. We love the comfort so much that we are willing to trade our freedom for slavery. That's discipleship versus slavery. Embracing our limits is discipleship. So how does God teach us to be free? He limits our comforts. Blah. He uses our human essentials for life, our deepest needs and in this case, it's food. So this is the coolest part. Because I read a book about God being the supernatural divine baker. God seasoned manna perfectly, it says in the Bible. Honey, and it likens it to coriander. And it was just ready-made. In verse 4 and 5, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. This daily discipline is set in motion for the next 40 years, picking up bread off the desert floor. Ready-made bread. Every single day was their part to pick up. They picked up, God provided. They picked up, God provided. Every day, except for the seventh. God's part was to make it appear on the ground. They didn't have to bake it, and it was sweetened perfectly. But there were limitations and specifications in the manna as well. 
Moses, in verse 15 to 20, says, Moses told them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each person needs to eat. You may take two quarts per individual, according to the number of people each of you has in his tent. So the Israelites did this. Some gathered a lot, some a little. When they measured it by quarts, the person who gathered a lot had no surplus, and the person who gathered a little had no shortage. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. Moses said to them, no one is to let any of it remain until morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some people left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. Therefore, Moses was angry with them. Did you hear that last part? Moses was angry with them, not God. I can relate. Sometimes I'm angry. I'm sure God's not. It doesn't say that God was angry. He was just reorienting them because he knew that they had been given all the provisions in Egypt for such a long time. They did not know how to put all their eggs in the God basket. They did not know how to say, okay, God, you are my provider, period. They didn't have to till the soil or plant the grain. They didn't have to water it. They didn't have to wait for it to grow. They didn't have to harvest it. They just had to pick it up off the ground. That's amazing to me. That's provision. That's provision at its finest. So little by little, God is reteaching them to depend on him, like on a daily basis, to listen carefully, to obey his, his instructions, and to allow his limits to be their limits. So verses 21 to 26, they gathered it every morning, each gathered it as much as he needed to eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, four quarts apiece, and all the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He told them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Set aside everything left over to be kept until morning. So they set it aside until morning as Moses commanded, and it didn't stink or have maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you won't find any in the field. For six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. And that's the curveball. You just get into a routine. Do you hear it? You just get into a routine. And then God says, wait a second you got to listen to me first. I'm giving you specific instructions because my rest is beyond any other rest and you don't even know that you need it every day, every week, but I'm giving it to you. And not only am I giving it to you, I'm forcing the issue. By making it stink if you keep it on other days and making it last for that one day a week. It's so supernatural, there's nothing else that could be blamed for it. It's got to be God. I love that that is rest. And we're gonna go into that later on in our series. But I love 
that that is rest. The blessing of provision would not come unless they embraced that limit. So how does embracing my limits help me to love well? This is, we could talk a long time about this. The gift of limits concept was introduced to Dallas Knight um, through Pete and Jerry Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And um, we just, we were at that point, we were at the end of ourselves. And so we couldn't, we didn't have anything left in the tank to love well. So um, it, it kind of blew our minds. Our activity for God far outweighed our relationship with God at that point. I had this um, picture a year and a half ago, and I shared it at her story, but I'm going to share it again because it still comes back to me about limits in such a, it's such a profound way. So this is it. This didn't really happen. This was my picture I got. I was in Superstore grocery shopping, but neglected to take a cart outside and began randomly looking around. I quickly saw things that I needed and began picking them up one by one. So I'm grabbing all these things and I'm holding them like on my fingers. I'm sure some of you have done this. You'd think, I don't need a cart. I'll be fast. And you go in and you start grabbing things. And I had like this big thing of toilet paper, like the big thing hanging off my finger. And I had all these things like stuck under my armpits. And I'm, you know, when you start getting so desperate that you've got everything here and you start kicking items forward because you're, that's how bad it was. So I was becoming overwhelmed and um, I wasn't moving in the store in an organized fashion. I like was watching myself go from one end to the other. And this is real life for me sometimes. So oh, I need that. Oh, I forgot I got to go back over there. And I'm just getting frustrated and tired. And things are starting to even hurt because I can't really carry them anymore. I look over to my right and I see Jesus. And he's just standing there smiling peacefully and patiently. And he has a cart and he says, Leah, I'm happy to help you shop. Just put those things in my cart and I'll push it. I'll push it for you, and we can do this together. Oh, and you forgot your grocery list at home. Typical. And so I brought it with me and noticed that you forgot a few items, so I added them to the list. I'm so relieved. I put everything in the cart, and it doesn't even seem to take up much space. We've got room to shop. He starts directing me to each item to grab off the shelf, telling me when we're going to need this item and what we're going to use it for. And I am like feeling such shopping joy and freedom that I am not alone, that I'm actually just the co-shopper. He's in charge. I'm so aware that Jesus will walk with me all the way through the store to and through the till and to the very end of loading the groceries in my car. That picture and revelation points to how I can love God more. I can give love by allowing Jesus to use my limits 
in this place, I could experience how limited my carrying capacity was. And I could have him teach me and guide me to steward them better. Like having a cart and a grocery list and a person to say, oh, you forgot this. It's like Matthew eleven, twenty-nine: 29, the take my yoke. That load of his is so light and it brings rest. So that's how we can love God. We love God, we love ourselves, and we love others as the well illustration continually um, points to. That's how we love God. So how do I love myself? This was very humbling for me because I wanted to be seen and known as dependable and strong and capable and hardworking. And in other words, I needed to earn love or else I was not lovable. So I wasn't very good at loving myself the way that God loved me. And honestly, I have hated my limits. I've hated weakness and brokenness in me like like that sick feeling in my stomach. I have begged for God to remove, begged God to remove my limits. And most times I have had to open my hands and allow my weaknesses to be seen, to be known, to be recognized by others in order that Christ might be known through me. So I'm going to just tell you my most limiting season, which was a very difficult time. July 2004, we were living in Langham at the time, and Brooklyn was three years old, and Boston was seven and a half months old. Uh, Dallas was running camps, so he wasn't there at the time. And I was finally diagnosed with a parasite in my right eye called acanthamoeba keratitis. And I am so excited to show you what someone gave me. It's a fuzzy parasite. This was supposed to be my special prop, and I use it often. This parasite that was in my eye caused me to see in black and white within hours of contracting it. And um, I couldn't tolerate any light. So I wore a patch, and I was wearing two pairs of sunglasses at the time. And then when I had to go to doctor's appointments or when I came to church, I was putting a blanket over my head in the car. And light was just like my nemesis couldn't handle any amount of light. It was nerve pain in my nerve endings of my cornea that was really the, the worst, and that would grow it to be my whole side of my head. So I went on uh, lots of narcotics, and I ended up going on OxyContin as much as I could take, and um, that was a whole other story, because then I had to come off of it, and that's not a fun thing to do that. I couldn't drive, and I couldn't take care of my kids, and I couldn't take care of our home, 
and I was self-employed at the time, so I couldn't work, but I still had to pay my rent on the place I was doing massage therapy. And we were just needing constant help and support. My mom and dad were helping all the time. And we were living in Langham, so trying to commute. It was just a gong show and two little kids. So, I lost, I lost my grip on reality, actually. The pain took me to places that I can't express. I couldn't read my Bible. I hated that. And I couldn't listen to anything to get my, my mind off of the pain because podcasting wasn't around. Thank you, Jesus, for podcasts. So I felt like I lost myself. I felt like I lost all that productivity and capability that I had, and I was just stripped down to, like, nothing. Um, we ended up moving to Saskatoon a little ways into that, and there were three times over the next year that I thought it might improve, but then it would get worse again. So I finally, I got a cornea transplant, which was a total miracle in 2005, uh, September 2005. So it went from July 2004 to September 2005 when the cornea transplant happened, and that was a whole other um, process to recover from. It felt like a very, very long season two and a half years probably by the time that was over-ish, and then I still have many effects from it, like migraines and stuff. So I learned really, really well that life is fragile and it can turn on a dime. One day we feel limitless, and the next, everything is limited. Everything. And all you can do is guard gum. But this helped me to learn to love others. By loving myself in that place of zero contribution to the world, it felt like. I saw people in a whole different way. I saw people on the street that were struggling and had no place to go. The way I used to see them was that they were less valuable. And now I saw everyone in this light of, you don't have to produce to be loved. Jesus came for that. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the manna. We eat of him. He comes into us. We go into him. It's miraculous. It's supernatural. It's manna. 
And Jesus, even Jesus, dove headfirst into limitation. And that blows my mind. Amy touched on this in a post that she wrote. It's, it's just unfathomable to think that the God of the universe would put himself into a limit, limitation abundant body, into a baby body even, and that he would do that on our behalf. And then he just kept choosing limits over and over again. He died on a cross and he didn't have to. He let himself go all the way to the end of the line of limitation, and that was death. That is the greatest limitation. He conquered it. He said, sure, I'm going there for you. Because you're worth it. Because I love you. Because you are mine. I'm doing this for you. I get so convicted that he did that for me and chose so much limitation, and yet I have grumbled and complained about the limitations that he has used in my life. And then resurrection happened, and he blows it out of the water and makes everything right because then he can use our weaknesses to make his power perfect, then it's way beyond nothing of us, all of him. So how do we embrace healthy limits? First, we admit that we are a limit. We acknowledge it and we just say, this is what I am. I'm human and I put myself fully into your hands, God. I can do nothing. I can do nothing without you. We limit people. We limit ourselves. I am my greatest limit. We limit God. And he still chooses to ask us to step into places like this, like right now. I'm speaking to you when I told my professors at Bible college that I didn't need the preaching class, so I opted out. <laughs> we are limits. Second, we surrender to an unlimited God. And this is beautiful. Um, worship team, you can come to the piano and stage. When we surrender to an unlimited God, it means stopping and asking God what he wants from us. It means not doing all the things and letting that outweigh our relationship with him. It means putting that first and waiting for him sometimes even. And we wait and we love in the meantime, knowing that God uses our limitation. It's grieving. It means acknowledging our loss. 
but we can acknowledge loss and grief if we embrace our limit. It means saying, I am incapable, God, but you are capable. Embracing limits is not a cop cop out. Embracing limits is surrender. Back in Exodus 16:12, God says after instructing the Israelites, "Then you will know that I am the Lord your God." Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So my prayer has been and needs to be every day that the world could see my needs so, so clearly and say, Leah, now that girl needs Jesus. She can't do anything without him. As you are aware of your limits in this moment, even in the uncomfortableness, I invite you during this song to come to the altar and to surrender yourself, your limitations, not come in shame and condemnation, but just come in surrender, knowing that he loves you and he loves your human limitation because he wants to use it. This, these are the moments that we get to say yes. Yes, God, I'll let you do whatever you want in me. <laughs>